Well, we're continuing this morning our uh, study through the book of Hebrews, and it's time to dismiss the kids for Children's Church, a kids' church. So kids, have a great time. We'll see you a little later. Last week uh, at the uh, picnic shelter, it was great uh, to be together, but also uh, to have a chance to continue our study. And uh, we talked about the first part of Hebrews chapter 6, which uh, has had a lot of uh, controversy, as I mentioned last week, as the writer talks about um, the whole issue of people falling away from the faith. And, uh, you know, are these people Christians? Are they not Christians? And uh, as we talked last week, um, in light of the context, I emphasize the importance as we we look at Scripture, you know, what is the context here? You know, it makes such a difference as we study the Bible, as we interpret it, as we apply it. And, and so that's important for us today because this is also part of the context of what we looked at last week. You know, what precedes what we read and studied, but also what follows. And, and so we'll find that in this passage today, uh, really a strong um, really guidance in applying all of this, the audience, the context, what is the focus of the author, all of it ties together, helping us to get the true meaning of the passage and guiding us in our application. <coughs> As I mentioned in last week's passage, um, the comments of the author regarding those who have fallen away from faith in Christ is truly further clarified here in today's reading. I truly believe, as I mentioned last week, that the context demonstrates that those who fell away were never Christians, but, but they had experienced through contact with Christians a taste of what it means to be a Christian, but still rejected Christ. I also believe that this passage, as well as related passages throughout the Scriptures, speak to the security of the believer, as those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ we are to be assured that God will not leave us, He will not forsake us, He will not reject us. And because the work in us is by faith in what He has done and not related to any work on our part, our security is not in our behavior, but in Him and what He has done. He will not undo that which He does. He will not reject the one he has accepted. This is our hope. This is the anchor for our souls. An exciting passage today. Let's read it together. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, and we're looking at Hebrews 6, starting at verse 13 and going through verse 20. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding." God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. 
These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The author of Hebrews in verse 12, just preceding this passage, if you recall from last week, um, is talking about this whole issue of security, of walking with the Lord, of knowing His presence and having the sense of His presence all the time. And he says in verse 12, as if we make certain that what we hope for by living out that which we have in Christ, he says, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. And so then we head into this first verse that we're looking at today, which starts with the comment, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. The promise to Abraham was affirmed not because Abraham had done what was necessary in God's eyes to be the perfect person, but rather he, as along with us, was saved through faith. Uh, it was the righteousness of God, we're told, was applied to Abraham, not because of what he did, but because he believed. All right? It was his belief, and that's been affirmed throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. And so we head into this passage with Abraham being the example for us of this life of faith. And so the promise to Abraham the promise and oath of God is not just for Abraham, by the way. Abraham is the father of faith. And so all who believe as Abraham did also have the promises that God gave to Abraham. Jesus is ultimate fulfillment of what God promised to Abraham. And we find in our relationship with Christ that we have this blessing from God. And so the promise of God to Abraham, very clearly laid out here in this, this passage in Hebrews, is that he would bless Abraham and multiply his descendants beyond measure. Now, when this promise was given, of course the promise was given before Isaac was born, but it was also given again after he was born and after even Abraham had taken him to sacrifice him as God called him to do, but God said no. He was just testing his faith, right? So, it was not about him doing anything, but it was about proving his faith and belief in God, that he was trusting God to do all the things that were necessary. God's promise to us is the same. As people of faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore the children of God, we have his blessing. He is with us. He is guiding us. He is empowering our lives to impact the world for Christ. The multiplying of Abraham's descendants is us, <laughs> but it's also those who come to faith through us. So God continues to give that promise to us. <laughs> I will expand my territory, God is basically saying, through your lives. 
As I come to dwell in you, as you know my blessing in your life, that blessing is going to be passed on to many, many others. You're here today because somebody else received God's blessing, as Abraham did, and they passed that blessing on to you by leading you to a belief in Christ, by leading you to faith in what he has done for you. But it doesn't end with you, does it? The blessing is to continue through you. I mean, you're not the source of the blessing. God is. But you're the recipient, and you're also the vessel for it to go through. We have this promise. It's for real. It's never going to end. You see, God's promise of multiplying Abraham's descendants continues on and on. There are more people coming to Christ today than ever in history. You might look around and say, this world is a mess. You're right. But God's at work, and his promises will come true. And there will be people beyond count someday in his presence. And we're in the midst of it. It's not time to throw up our hands and say, oh, it's so terrible, and put our heads in a hole somewhere. It's time to live out the blessing. It's time to take the promises of God seriously and live by faith in what he has promised, even as Abraham did. God promises, and it says in this passage, that he took an oath to make sure that we knew that his promise was sure and secure. But there was nobody else greater than God to take an oath by. When you go to court and you stand as a witness, you're asked to say certain things, right? That what you say is going to be the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me, God. Why do they ask you to say that? Because you're committing yourself to something much greater than yourself. You're saying, I'm accountable for what I say, not just what I think, but to what is true eternally. And it is interesting in a world that wants to do away with some of that, that that's still said in the courtroom, all right? Uh, I know even though you might not put your hand on the Bible all the time, you still say, so help me, God. Um, our our uh, representatives and uh, elected officials are sworn in, right? And often this is also, I mean, a part of that, right? So help me God. Well, God couldn't say, so help me somebody else, <laughs> because he's the ultimate. So as the writer of Hebrews says, God makes a promise, and he makes an oath to keep it, all right, that he's telling the truth, it's never going to change, and he makes that oath on his own character, on who he is, the God who never changes, the God who never lies, the God who has made everything that is, the God who holds it all together, he swears on himself that he will keep the promise. And he does it for us. I mean, God knows he's not going to change his mind. <laughs> it's already a truth that's self-existent. 
right? The Lord has been forever and he will be forever and, and, and he knows who he is, but he wants us to know who he is. He wants us to trust him completely. He seeks us, doesn't reject us, has every right to. We certainly don't match up to his holiness in any way, but his love is what drives him. God is love. He sent Jesus because of love. God so loved the world that he sent his son. That's why. That's what's behind it all. And he wants us to know his love. He wants us to find our security, our hope completely in him. And as it says here, without any question, the oath is binding. It gives us confidence that this is for real. It will happen as God swears by his own name. We're told actually in verse 17 that the reason for God taking the oath is that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Is that important to you? should be. Is it important to you that you can trust God? That he's not going to suddenly say, oh, well, I really didn't mean all that. I got another thing here. We deal with that in life all the time with situations. I mean, I know I've disappointed people, and I'm sure you have too. I mean, even though we might mean to do well, we don't always do well. We mess up. But you can count on God. (laughs) He's not going to change his mind. You can be perfectly sure that his promise is true. Do you hear that? Perfectly sure. Now, if you choose not to believe him, you're on your own. And you can be perfectly sure it's not going to go real good. We've tried that, right? Whenever you've kind of said, okay, well, maybe i got a little better idea here. (laughs) doesn't usually turn out too good. But when we trust him, when we look to him for all that we are and all that we can be, we find him to be true. And he will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you if you are his. You are his through trust in Christ. What a wonderful place to be. Oh, my. Amazing. So our part is faith. And as we see with Abraham, it involves waiting patiently and receiving. Did you get that? Verse, uh, actually, verse 15. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Didn't happen all at once, did it? Abraham got the word from God that he was going to bless him. Lesson with a child. It was uh, quite a while, what, about 20 years, I think, before that happened. Yeah. He was 100 years old. Seemed rather impossible. Sarah was 90. She was laughing about it. That's why they named Isaac, Isaac, laughter. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. But God was happy too, because he was doing amazing things. So we are to rejoice in that. But it was didn't happen at once. So Abraham waited patiently. Now, you might say, no, did he really? We, we've been, we studied Abraham last summer. You remember that? Yeah, okay. And, and, and you remember, Abraham didn't always seem to wait patiently, did he? I mean, remember? He kind of took uh, Sarah's advice and took the concubine, and that resulted in world history troubles even to today, all right? So, um, yeah. We mess up. But isn't it good to know 
that that's not rubbed in Abraham's face right here. You see that? God had an, a plan that went beyond Abraham's failure. And he didn't reject Abraham because he didn't do it all exactly right. You ever feel like because you didn't do it all exactly right, you might be in a mess with God and never get back? You know what? This passage is saying that is not true. People have used this passage to say the other, by the way. When we looked at it last week, people have said, oh, remember I talked all about that, my own struggles at times with that. You know, oh, well, you know, you haven't quite, you know, you've, you've heard all these things, you've got all the things of God, and then you, you walk away. No, that's talking about people that have not become a child of God. But if you're a child of God, God wants you to be secure in your relationship with him. And it's not based on the fact that you'll get it all right once you become a Christian. I remember thinking that way. Okay, I'm a Christian now. I should live everything perfect. And then you fail. And the devil says, yeah, 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 look at you. You really aren't a Christian. No, he's a liar. Father of lies. Yeah, what's the word of God say? God made an oath on a promise that he will not change. And you can be secure. Our hope is built on nothing less, right? On God's promises, on what he has said, it is true. We can trust him completely. And so we are to live in a confident, strong, and trustworthy hope, the writer here says. And the reason that we have this hope, as it says in this passage, is that we have fled to him for refuge, we need a place to get away from the wrath that we deserve. Now, when the writer of Hebrews wrote this about refuge, right away, the people, the Jews in Rome that he was writing to would have got his point as pointing to the cities of refuge mentioned in the Old Testament. You ever hear about the cities of refuge? Read back in uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy, it talks about them. And it basically is the idea that if, if you have accidentally killed somebody and their relatives are after you to make you pay for what you've done by taking your life, you can flee to one of these cities of refuge. And as long as you're within the boundaries of that city, they can't touch you. So it was a place of safety in the midst of what a person might have received if they weren't there. Well, Jesus is our place of refuge, right? We, we, we deserve the wrath of God for our sins, but he has taken it upon himself. And so he offers us the opportunity to come into that which he has made possible. And as we come in and we're under, under his umbrella, so to speak, as we're tied in actually as relatives as we're brought into the family and he is the firstborn among many brethren and that's us okay and as we're in that family we don't have to worry anymore because we're in a place of refuge now if our hope is based on ourselves or our ability to rescue ourselves we would still be in trouble but that's not who we are 
That's not who we are. We have run to him. Have you, have you fled to Jesus? Have you run to Jesus? I mean, he came to you. I know that. But you had to come to him too, right? You had to say, hey, Jesus, I, I get it. I, I'm, I'm lost without you. Thank you for what you did for me. I come to you with all that I am because I'm hopeless without you. That's saving faith. That's declaring your bankruptcy and his complete payment for you. Yeah, and if you're in that place, oh, praise God, then we are in a place of refuge. Now, Remember last week as we looked at verse 6, we were reminded that those who had not placed their faith in Christ, but were trying to find another way, it said that they were nailing Jesus to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. (laughs) The reason it says that is because if you're not trusting Christ, there is no other way for you to be saved. Jesus can't die again. He already did. If you're trying to nail him to the cross again and again for whatever you think it needs to be, that's not going to work. You need to accept what God has done. It's a once and forever opportunity. Receive him, and you are saved. Jesus is our place of refuge. We run to him to be saved. This is God's promised blessing, and we escape death that we would be deserving of. But he paid the price for us, And we are safe. We're saved by God himself, so we're fully secure. Much more secure than that uh, wall in the old city, which some of us will see next February. That'll be fun. Okay. You know, we read in Proverbs 18.10, a great verse, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly... The godly run to him and are safe. You might not always feel as safe as you are. (laughs) You might not always think that you're as safe as you are. But if your faith is in what God has said and the promises that he has made, that gives you the assurance of your safety. You get that? Believing what he says. (laughs) Praise the Lord. We are safe. We hold on to this hope, and we find protection and stability in an unsteady world. Now, the passage we're looking at this morning says that this hope that we have in Christ is an anchor for our souls. Title of today's sermon, Hope, an Anchor for Our Souls. Uh, So what's an anchor do? Any Navy people here? Yeah, we got some Navy folks, all right. You ever see an anchor on a big Navy ship? It's pretty good size, isn't it? Yeah, it better be. <laughs> you got a big ship to kind of hold on to. Because an anchor is to hold on to that ship so it doesn't drift around when it doesn't want to be drifting around, all right? And, and often uh, an anchor is to hold in some tough seas. And it's got to be secure. It's got to be hooked to something that holds it too, right? I mean, if you throw your anchor into a muddy bottom and a wind blows hard enough, you know what's going to happen, right? It's still going to pull that anchor along. Yeah. Sometimes you drop anchor, it doesn't quite, I mean, I'm talking about a small boat. I remember being my grandfather, you know, sometimes you got too too short a rope. 
<laughs> you put the anchor down, it's just kind of dangling down there in the water. It's not doing any good. I mean, even though it's an anchor, it's not acting like an anchor. You got to have the anchor tied into the right spot. Okay? So the anchor for our souls that this is talking about is hooked to the solid rock. Right? This rock is Jesus. He's the one. Right? Bible talked about building your house on the rock, right? And when the rains come down, the storms come up, guess what? The house stands. But if you build your house on the sand, all other else is sinking sand. We sang about that. Well, you don't want to be on any sinking sand. Storms come, and it's going to wipe you out. Our hope is greater than just being secure. Our, our hope is that we are held. We are in a place that God has put the anchor connected to our souls that will not wash us away no matter what comes. Your security in Christ is eternal. Okay? Not to be taken lightly, not saying, well, I can do whatever I want, doesn't matter. I mean, if there's a true faith in Christ, there's going to be also the signs that show with that. <laughs> and that's obedience and desire. It's not perfection, but it's the desires to follow Him. Yeah. And that's kind of what the author was saying in the earlier passage. These people really weren't with us. They didn't show perseverance. It didn't show up in their faith continuing on. You're still here, right? I, I believe that probably the majority of you here truly know Christ. I mean, I don't know that for certain. I can't say, well, this person is, this person is not. Don't, I'm not doing that. I don't know that. All right? But I do believe that you're here. I mean, I know a lot of you, and I know that the majority of people I know here are really serious about following Jesus, and, and you, you're here because of that, and you want to grow in Him, and, and you want to continue on in Him, and, and you're not here to try to make yourself secure. You're, you're here to live in that security that you have and to grow in it. All right. Now, if you don't know Christ, you are running around without an anchor, and the winds are going to blow you all over the place. So the opportunity is still yours. Glad you're here, by the way. If you don't know Christ, I'm glad you're here because you need Christ. There's no other answer for your life. A lot of people telling you other things, but God, remember, tells you the truth. <laughs> he doesn't want you to be lost. He wants you to know Him. Yeah. And this says in this passage that our hope, if you look at verse 19... That our hope leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Hmm. I found that fascinating when I read that. I don't always think of hope leading me into God's inner sanctuary. I mean, I think of Jesus leading the way, which this does talk about in this passage. But it really is our hope, as I thought about it, that leads us in. You know, certainly our faith gets us there. Our faith in Christ opens the door. Matter of fact, if you go back to, um, let me see what I have here, chapter 4, verse 16, we were encouraged in that passage that we can go boldly into the throne of our gracious God to receive mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. Uh, uh, the result of knowing Christ is an open door into the sanctuary of God himself. You can go to him in prayer. You can go to him 
freely. You don't have to do something special. You don't have to, you know, wash your hands. You don't have to wear certain clothing. You know, you, you don't have to have a certain status. You have Jesus. That's all you need. He's the way in. So it's our faith in him, certainly, that opens that door. But that faith is what brings us hope. It's just not, oh, I believe in Jesus, but it's the fact that I have hope. I can make it. I have what's necessary. God gives it to me. He opens the very door to the inner sanctuary, and that's the hope I have. It's not that I have hope because I have great skill. It's that my hope is in Him, and He is my creator, and He is my redeemer, and He gives me what I need to live day by day if I will trust in Him, if I will come to Him. You'll have what you need if you come. You have access. Oh, so many times we don't take advantage of it, right? <laughs> We're kind of living in the poorhouse when God's already given us access to the most glorious house. Yeah, don't live there. Come. Come into the inner sanctuary to find help every day. And we're not outsiders anymore. And that's because Jesus is our brother, our friend, our savior our hope. He has made it so. And as stated in the Apostles' Creed, he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. For you. For me. Right? He has gone into God's presence for us. He came from God's presence for us into this world, giving up all of heaven to be our Savior. And now he has returned into the presence of God, him being the second person of the Trinity, and has led the way in for us. Jesus has gone before us so that we can go with confidence. We can follow and enter safely because he has paid for our entrance with his blood. His perfect sacrifice is acceptable and enables us to enter into the holy place. And when we have a relationship with Jesus, you know what he calls you? He calls you his friend. No longer servants, he said to his disciples. But you're my friends, he says. We're also his brother and sister. We're family. And our big brother goes before us, and we can go in because he says, it's okay. I've taken care of it. You took communion today. You were remembering what Christ has done for you. And part of that remembering is to remember that we have a relationship where we can go in, into the presence of God. Throughout life, you're probably like me. I've had an audience at times with people I didn't know and would never have any access to because of their status in life, but because I was related to somebody else or because we had a common friend, I got to meet some of those people. Yeah. We lived out in uh, Canton, Ohio for quite a bit of time where the Pro Football Hall of Fame is. It'll make some of you guys jealous with some of the people I got to shake hands with and get to know a little bit. Now, they probably don't remember me at all. <laughs> but it wasn't because 
I could show up on my own, I got invited by somebody else that had the credentials, all right? And I got in there to sit by Bob Greasy and, you know, to be with Gail Sayers at a couple of meals and stuff like that, all right? Now, that doesn't make me any better a person, but it's a great illustration of what we're talking about here today as far as access into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus, our friend and our brother, has made the way, right? We get there because of him. And we get right on the inside. Much better than just sitting next to Gail Sayers. <laughs> but an eternal relationship with the Heavenly Father that will never end. And the connection that will help me through today with whatever comes my way. We have a hope, friends. Our hope is unlimited. Because Jesus, as it says at the end of this passage, is our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm not going to get into Melchizedek today because we're going to be into it heavy here coming in. <laughs> if you remember, the author of Hebrews actually stopped talking about Melchizedek back in chapter 5. Took a break and said, now wait a minute, I, I just feel like a lot of you here <laughs> aren't ready for what I need to tell you about here. And we need to stop and make sure. Remember what he said? He said some tough things. He said, by this time you all should be teachers. By this time you should be eating meat. But, but you're still just kind of being taught the basic stuff. You, you, you should be teaching. By the way, we still need some teachers, you know. You heard that in the announcement, right? All right. Don't say, well, I can't do that. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Better pray about it. Better pray about it. I know some of you have stepped up. Hallelujah. That's been wonderful. I uh, celebrate every week when I hear those things with God's at work. But he stopped. Now he's going to start again about Melchizedek. But the key here for this passage is that Jesus is in the line of Melchizedek who is the eternal priesthood. All right? Jesus is the ultimate high priest, obviously. He is the one who truly is eternal. He, never, he, he pre-existed everything as God. He will exist forever. He is eternal. Hard for us to grasp the eternal idea because we're temporal. We live by the clock. <laughs> we, we have a beginning. Uh, thank God we're eternal beings too, right? And, so, and we won't have an end. And particularly as faith in Christ, you won't have an end. You'll be with him forever in heaven. That's the hope we have. We need to live in that hope. We need to remember that we have an anchor. And our hope is that anchor, and that anchor is connected to Jesus. There's an old hymn. I, I, I don't think it's in the hymnal, so he won't sing it tonight. But uh, I know a lot of old hymns because I'm an old guy. But uh, it's called We Have an Anchor. Maybe you've heard of it. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read the words. But we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Got any billows rolling? Yeah, okay. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Great song, great words, great truth. That's what we're all about. Remember, God said it. He swore by it on himself. He showed us in Christ 
and we have the way. And in that way, we have hope that is eternal. Not just a hope so, right? But real hope that will hold you no matter what comes. Those billows are going to come. Some of you are being blown around right now a little bit by them, but don't worry, it's not going to take you off track if you stay true, if you keep your faith where it is in the Lord, not in saying, oh, that's shakable, I'm going to now be scared. No, don't be afraid. God says it over 300 times in His Word. Do not fear. <laughs> he knows we do, but He knows we don't need to. Trust in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this truth. <laughs> and we can't say that enough. Lord, may our lives be a life of hallelujah and praise because of what you've done. May we not allow ourselves to be swept away from this truth, but allow the anchor of our souls to hold us so that when things come that might try to discourage us or, or take away that which is true, that we will not allow our feelings or the thoughts of others or even our own thoughts to take us from your truth and the fact that you have sworn an oath on our behalf and you have proven it over and over again and your word is true and you've given it to us and we have what we need. Oh, Lord, thank you that you do not give on, uh, up on us even as you didn't give up on Abraham. But through belief and faith, the righteousness of God is applied to our lives through Jesus Christ. He is our victory. We thank you for all that he has done. We praise you in his name. Amen. Everybody stand, please. Jesus has overcome, and the grave is overwhelmed. The victory is won. He is risen from the dead, and I will
we come together to be reminded that we remembered him in communion. Before you go, I do want to mention that uh, whenever we take communion together, we do have an opportunity to give to the benevolent offering, which helps people that uh, we become aware of who could use some assistance. And uh, you've always been so gracious here in giving to that. The box is in the back there by the communion elements. So if you'd like to give to that today, that's there. Also, as you leave, uh, we need some help. Anyone who can help set up chairs and tables for our hymn sing and ice cream tonight in the uh, social hall, um, please show up over there after the service. It won't take long. Many hands make light work, right? All right. Let's pray before we go. Thank you, Father, again for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope, the anchor, the truth, the reality of real life in him that we have. Lord, may we keep our focus upon what is true this week as we head out into a world that would be so far from you but so desperately needs you. Help us to be that blessing that you give to others, that your kingdom would continue to grow, that many more would come to know Christ as their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.